He grew up very poor in the crime-ridden sections of Chicago. Many would have you believe that his fate was predetermined. However, that was not the case. He's here to tell his story and what inspires him and motivates him today. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. In the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, we are joined by special guests talking about their experiences, their realities of investigating crimes, plus those who have experienced horrendous trauma, police, first responders, military, and victims of crime share their stories. Hi, I'm John J. Wiley. In addition to being a broadcaster, I'm also a retired police sergeant. Be sure to check out our website, letradio.com, and also like us on Facebook. Search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and be sure to click like. Contacting us from Wisconsin, we have Phil Hill on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Phil is a very interesting story. Before we get into his story, I'll give you an idea. He grew up very poor in a crime-ridden section of Chicago. And a lot of people would tell you that people don't have free choice, that they don't have the ability to make decisions based on that. And his fate was predetermined. That was not the case. Check out his website, philhill.live. That's P-H-I-L-H-I-L-L dot L-I-V-E. And by the way, I met Phil in the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. And if you haven't gotten that yet, check it out. Download it. It's free. It's free to use. And look for me, John J. Wiley, or look for at L-E-T Radio Show, and you'll find us. Phil, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks so much for telling your story on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Very much appreciated. Hey, John. It's a joy to be with you today. Thank you for uh, allowing me on with you. And it it really is a pleasure. And uh, Phil is an interesting story because a lot of people... When they hear about my show and we talk about it, like, but I don't have any great stories to tell you. I don't, I didn't, I wasn't a cop. I wasn't a first responder. I wasn't in the military or whatever it might be. Phil, when we talked about his stories, like, oh my goodness, yeah, you need to tell that. Because one of the things, Phil, is before we get into your story, you really focus on security and security products now, don't you? Yes, sir. I sure do. Can people get more details yes, about the um, website, so- philhill.live? They sure can. Everything on there is all about my uh, 40 years around security and safety. So they'll know they're on the right site when they click on philhill.live. Well, we'll talk about some why you do that and what you do and what you focus on. Because there's a lot of commonality. And there's a lot of things that's very relatable. A lot of people have fears and concerns about that it doesn't matter where you grew up. It doesn't matter what your ethnic background is. It doesn't matter what your financial background is. The fears are the same. As a matter of fact, I would go so far as to say, being a street cop in Baltimore in the worst sections of town, violent crime was a huge issue. And it was a a huge issue for the people who lived there and it was very much on their radar. Would that be fair to say for you? Very much, sir. Very much. Um, So, you know, for what I do for a living and have done for the last 40 years, I, I'm probably, I'm probably one of those, um, persons that are, that are as close to law enforcement as you can get without being law enforcement. I, I, I will say that because for the last 40 years, every day of my waking life, I, I wake up and I'm thinking about crime. I'm thinking about people, places, and things, how to protect them. And, 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 and it always ties in with the first responder fire, or police, yeah, and except I'm on the civilian side, so that's how my life has been, and it's I, I had a drive for it from childhood. 
I'm speaking of childhood, where I policed in Baltimore, I, we had families that had one, two sons that were murdered, that others that were in prison. And there wasn't this incredible animosity that people believe between police and the people that lived there. That was not the case. As a matter of fact, I'd say 98% of the time we weren't arresting people. It was investigating crimes. It was solving and trying to solve and resolve successfully a lot of quality of life issues, but we couldn't do what needed to be done in that area. Uh, was, was that similar for you growing up? That's similar. So for, for me, going back into those Chicago days, and if I, if I ever wrote a book, it would be the Chicago days. Uh, so I'm, I'm pushing almost 60. But in those late 60s and early 70s, when I was a, a young child, um, still elementary school, you know, the, the trauma and the crime and everything was around us on the heart of the west side of Chicago. That same west side of Chicago that burnt up uh, quite a bit during uh, many of the uh, civil rights uh, unrest during that time. And my parents both had jobs, um, so it was wonderful to have parents, and, 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 and it was for them and for the grace of God that I'm where I am today. But where we lived um, was literally on the west side of Chicago where we had gangs, uh, bullying. Um, you had to run home from school every day and it was just a terrible life. And if I believe had it stayed in that area, my parents had not moved my brothers and I out of that part of Chicago when we were yet still young and teenagers, um, life could be very different for us now. Do you think it made a huge, a huge step? Your parents had obviously a big part to play in, in your upbringing, but with all the distractions yeah. of the, the crime, the violence, the running home, the gangs, all that stuff, how old were you when you left that area? Uh, when we left Chicago, I was um, finishing, I believe, the third grade. So I was about nine years old. And so I was born in Chicago, uh, lived in that same area. My brothers were middle school, high schoolers. Um, and, and we lived in on an apartment building, um, much like if you ever watched the TV show, good times oh, yeah. where they lived in the projects. Well, yeah, that's, that's basically where we lived. <laughs> it, it wasn't the exact same one, but it was one just like it. And, and so the, the um, truth but, is you know, my parents uh, I met, worked every day. Yeah. I met so many people policing that lived in projects. I met so many people policing. One, one of the worst stories I can tell you, there's, there's a lot of traumatic stories, but mm-hmm. myself and my po- side partner, his name is Rodney. Uh, I worked 635 car. He was in 634 car and it was a Saturday morning and there were mm-hmm. people on their front porches of their rented row houses in Baltimore and the houses are being auctioned off to tenant landlords and I, I was really despondent thinking these people had no control over what the outcome of their lives were. They were totally dependent on someone else. Um, and for, for the life of me, as long as I can remember, that's always been an issue. I don't ever want people to be in control of my outcome. Yeah. So now, you know, control is one thing that for some, it, it, there is no control. You, you, you may be uh, at a very low-end job, um, very crime-ridden neighborhood, and uh, very little education, and not too many possibilities out of, as what they would say then, the hood. Right. Um, for us, it was different. Um, I, I, as I shared, I, my father, John, my mother, Ethel, um, both were postal workers. And my dad worked multiple jobs as he was uh, also by day getting an education uh, college degree for teaching and, and soon became a school teacher. So he was a school teacher by day, 
He worked the post office at night. They saved a huge amount of money to, at the time they could, was to buy a home in Wisconsin, which is where I'm at now, and uh, where we had other family, where we had, John, green grass, backyard. Uh, you can walk to school free and clear without hassle or gangs. Um, totally different from what I had an hour and 15 minutes uh, south down in Chicago. Um, so they, they made a way. They sacrificed um, to give us a better life, and it did just that. Now, uh, did I face still the hurts and the traumas of from birth to, you know, to third grade? Yeah, beat up oftentimes each day and milk money and, and anything I had of value taken from me, um, threatened. Um, education system in Chicago was just flat out horrible. Yeah. Um, one of the telltale signs is that uh, I'm not the best with math today. Sure. I've never been. You and me both, but and I'm not from I don't Chicago. Let that uh, stop me. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the things that impressed me the but, most is, and I I can relate in a lot of ways. See, I grew up very poor. I was in a military yeah. family, and we all were poor. All of our friends were poor. No one knew any different. We didn't know that there was a different life. Uh, and I didn't start getting exposed to that until maybe high school. However, I grew up with slightly reddish hair, and I had a very fiery Irish temper, mm-hmm. and I was the smallest kid in class for many years. And people would start fights with me, and I would gladly stay there, and, and I'd run home crying so many times. And then when I got bigger, Phil, all of those bullies... They never, ever, ever bother me. We're talking with Phil Hill on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. We've got so much to talk about growing in Chicago, moving to Milwaukee, bringing in and caring for an Alzheimer's family member, and then how all that shaped what he does today. This is the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Whether you're an aspiring podcaster, new or published author, speaker, content creator, visionary, or a dreamer crafting your message, now is your moment to shine. At CreativeCon 2024, you'll discover how to position yourself as an industry leader and leverage podcasting, publishing, production, and promotions to maximize your impact. For those seeking purpose, we'll ignite your storytelling passions and guide you to a more fulfilling path. To secure your tickets for this one-of-a-kind live event taking place at Chicago's Metropolis Performing Arts Center on February 17th and 18th, visit creativecon.com. That's C-R-E, the number 8, T-I-V-E-C-O-N.com. Get your tickets today. The future is yours. Speak it. Write it. Live it. Turn a conversation with Phil Hill on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Phil Hill's website. Ready? It is very easy to remember. PhilHill.live. That's P-H-I-L-H-I-L-L dot L-I-V-E. And just so you know, I met Phil. I consider him a, a clubhouse friend. Clubhouse drop-in social audio app is free. You can download your phone today uh, and, and join us. Podcast Pros is the name of one of the houses that I have and I run, but just look for John J. Wiley or at L.E.T. Radio Show. And we'll be doing some stuff with the radio show and Clubhouse in the near future. So, Phil, one of the things I find fascinating, it's actually a lot of things about your story I find fascinating. Number one, I love stories. I always say this. 
about police that defy the stereotypes of police. Now, when I say stereotypes, I'm the stereotypical Irish Catholic uh, Neanderthal knuckle dragging police officer. There's no way of getting around it. As a matter of fact, I always say this I could be 85 in an old folks' home, and, and when I go shuffling by, people go, shh, there's 5 0. One of the things about your situation, you grew up poor in the rough part of Chicago. Crime was a real issue, gangs were a real issue. You had parents who were very involved in your life, schooling was an issue. And yet, many people would tell you in the media that. The, the Hill family had no choice. They'd all wind up going to prison. They'd be in and out of jail. There'd be drug abuse. There'd be deaths. There'd be all this other stuff. Uh, and crime would be part of your future. That was not the case for you, was it? And so, John, yeah. Um, so, so Chicago days were different than Wisconsin days, for sure. Now, I don't want you to think that we were living on the street in Chicago. My parents both had jobs. We just were in a we were in a neighborhood in the area that uh, it is what it is. It's uh, it wasn't going to get too much better. But yeah, I'll share you a little quick story that while we even lived in this apartment building in Chicago um, in a really rough neighborhood, um, we had we had good things. Um, my parents decided when they wanted furniture, they had custom furniture made at Marshall Fields, which is basically like a Macy's, right? And um, and had it delivered. And so we 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 felt good in our space. But on the other side of the the door, you had the uh, accordion type burglar bars with 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 you know five inch padlocks on them, you know around every window and door in your apartment. <laughs> if you had to get out, you better find a key quick in case of a fire. So those were the things we left by the kind because we surely didn't bring any uh, accordion style um, burglar bars to Wisconsin with us, and life changed dramatically when we got there. So you had inside life, inside the, the apartment that you grew up in, and then the world outside. Yep. And you would try to find a way to, and I don't want to sound melodramatic, to lock the bad stuff out. Yes. And, 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 and we could get around the bad stuff. You know, it's just my dad was a geography major, history major from college and teaching. And, and so, you know, weekends, uh, he would take us downtown Chicago to you know, this to, to hobby shops and, you know, go to go to all the, you know, Saturday movies to watch Kung Fu movies. And so we did a lot of things. It's just, you know, where we lived was very difficult and it wasn't the normal, you know, type of lifestyle. Maybe like you saw in a lever the beaver. I, I will say that Wisconsin got closer to that. And, uh, and yet, you know, here's, there were problems when we got to Wisconsin. I had problems. I'm sure you I did. became the bully. Uh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. You so it was a bit of role I reversal. I did, yes, immediately that summer. So I finished third grade in Chicago, and that summer we moved. Uh, the moving truck pulled up, and uh, and I and I can be very frank with you. Uh, I was nine years old. Moving truck pulled up. I, I I was a little squirt, so I wasn't moving too much as far as boxes and things. But but a little kid, uh, his name is Harry. He walked across the street, um, same age as me. And he asked me a couple of questions. He says, "Do you play with matchbox cars?" I said, "Yeah." Uh, he says, "Do you do you do you play with? Uh, do you have soapbox cars?" I said, yeah, I'd like to have one one day, you know, but I don't get out too much. And and so Harry became and still is one of my lifelong friends. But he he, he was basically my first uh, Caucasian friend, and we are still very good friends today. That was something I wasn't going to get on the west side of Chicago. <laughs> no, and I'm but, sure um, but, look, that's a, a foreign concept to me because I grew up in Norfolk, mm-hmm. Virginia, where everybody was military. 
And we had every walk of mm-hmm. life, every race you can imagine from different countries as well. We had Filipinos, we had blacks, we had everybody. And no one really mm-hmm. blinked. But when you think of Chicago, we think of the North and we think, oh, it's so desegregated. That really wasn't the case, was it? No, not at all. Same for Milwaukee, uh, the, the city of Milwaukee. Now, I was in one of the suburbs, so we, we had a little better there. But but I will tell you, talk about the bully piece. I was bullied in Chicago. Within a few months, I started the fourth grade, and I literally bullied the whole class. Kicked out of school a few times. Um, finally, my mom and dad kind of did that total sit-down with me that says, hey, we didn't come up here, spend all this money, buy a house, to try to give you a better life for you to bring the Chicago way with you. You don't need to do this anymore. And I began to make friends and settle down and try to get an education, which uh, I did pretty good except for the math. <laughs> that, that, that was a stumbling block that should have started off better in Chicago. Would you say that when you had to talk with your parents, and we'll get the bullying part in a moment, when you had to talk with your parents, was it like a, a, a switch, a light switch, or did it take a little time for you to change your ways? It, it was it was a light switch. It was really just a, a settling point that I was in a new school, new atmosphere. Now, we were somewhat familiar with Wisconsin because we had family up there. We would come up all through the weekends and the summers to go, you know, swimming at the swimming pool, um, you know, all the outdoor activities and everything we couldn't do in Chicago. But it was just on weekend visits and summer trips. But now it was permanent. And, I, John, so... Imagine that I had 25 classmates in Chicago in the third grade. Every one of them were black, just like me. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, I show up in Kenosha a few months later, start up in September, and I roll in a class, and there's 25 classmates, but maybe there's eight of us that are black, and the rest are all Caucasian. I think it would be a little culture shock for this kid over here, but uh, I felt for some reason I I, I needed to... I needed to inflict and do the things that were done to me. It didn't last long. I'm not a bully today. Um, he, never struck, it, he, uh, he never even struck me as being someone who's um, a pushy person. <laughs> I have a feisty side. Yeah, protection. That's 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 the uh, that's the side of me that uh, um, de-escalate. You know, work with kindness, and then if it doesn't work, be ready. to on a dime. That's, now, that's that, the way I am. I'm an old school yeah. guy, and we're we're a little bit close in age. I'm I'm a little bit older than you, but I I, I believe that's a big part of the, the shared learned experience. That look, I don't disrespect people. I don't push my way around. I don't do a lot of things, and I will do everything I can to avoid conflict with anybody. However, if you bring it to my door and you don't give me a way out, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. I got it. And I will outthink you. Well, not you, but <laughs> I, 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 part of, part of this whole outthink you thing, I say that because, you know, we, we struggled in some things coming up out of that Chicago way. And the math has been a struggle educational wise, but to overcome math in my life, I have engineering certifications and fire systems and you name it. I, I, I was determined to be even better and find a way to overcome. And so likewise, in all so many other aspects of my life, I am determined to go from maybe a zero or a very difficult thing to being tops. And we're going to take a and short break on that just, note. We're talking with Phil Hill. This is the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. So much more heading away. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. 
What is the Newsbreak app and why should you follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast on the Newsbreak app? Newsbreak is your number one local news app for current events, free live news for you and your community. Download the Newsbreak app today for free and be sure to follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast on the Newsbreak app. This is the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Return our conversation with Phil Hill joining us from Wisconsin. By the way, his website is philhill.live. That's P-H-I-L-H-I-L-L dot L-I-V-E. Really easy to find. Phil, you grew up in a rough part of Chicago. Crime was a real issue where you grew up. Bad schooling. You mentioned many times still have trouble with math, which is not one of my strong suits. I've, I've learned to adjust and be more successful in spite of. There's many similarities and many differences, but your family, when you were in third grade, moved to Wisconsin. And you said that you took some of Chicago away with you and you became the bully. And then your parents had a conversation with you and that you decided to change. And all that's understandable. I get it. If all you know is a certain way of behaving, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that doesn't happen to me. And uh, yeah, that still shapes some of my attitudes today. And I'm very nice. I try to be very respectful to people. Uh, But here's the one thing my wife will tell you, my wife, the boss will tell you is that, man, I'm very sensitive Mm -hmm. to disrespect. And when people, I feel they're being disrespectful to me, I'll give you one shot. I don't even do baseball rules. I'll give you one shot. When you come the second time, it's done. It's over. Mm Mm-hmm. No, you can't. You, you've you've got a. It's about it's about maturity, really, and, and that's where I'm at now. Um, but no, Chicago Chicago was that. We got there. I got past my bullying state, and I um, again thankful to God, and my mom and dad, uh, who worked so hard to to buy a brand new duplex, um, uh, you know, up in Wisconsin, that they gave me a chance for sports. I became a track star, scholarship opportunities, uh, which I had on the table to choose between that and the life of security and safety, which I chose that instead of track, um, which could have done very well for an education at the university of Wisconsin. But, uh, I, I, uh, I think it turned out well. I learned to, to make friends and live around all sorts of other people. Um, many of those friendships still last today. And I greatly appreciated my mom and dad for the love and care to give me a better life. I learned how to swim. I I could ride a bike down the neighborhood without being chased. And my brothers were to our middle school, high school when we moved, all were able to do the same. Uh, So life was pretty good at that point. You later on in life uh, wound up going through a situation where you had to take care of one of your parents, your father, I believe. And this is a constant fear for my sisters and I, because our mother is still with us, thank God. And she's in her late 80s, yep. and she does great, but we always worry what happens if the worst-case scenario happens. And that's what happened with you and your family, didn't it? It sure did. It came full circle, uh, John, I, and, and there were some challenging times. One of the things I'm grateful for is that um, I started a business uh, about 18 years ago. So being an entrepreneur business owner um, allowed me that flexibility to always be there for every doctor's appointment, uh, to be there for for four years of that. My dad's last four years of life, he lived in the home with my daughters and my wife and I, um, 24-hour caregivers. 
Um, and I would do it all over again because of the love and care that he shared and gave to me. I felt it was a very honorable thing for me to do, to be his eyes, ears, and protection uh, in his golden years. But, you know, here's a school teacher now suddenly with uh, memory issues, but to make sure that he had the best of life. And we did that. It was challenging. Um, I will say for anyone that hasn't gone through it, one day you may. And so take on the community that can help you. Um, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, neighbors, friends, um, you know, the aging disability resource centers, um, veterans, uh, uh, community and, 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 and take ownership of it. And always, even though when a loved one has memory issues, they may say things that are hurtful. They may, because they're not really themselves, but somewhere you never know when they're really there, but do it out of love. Uh, have patience and you can do it. And the guys, the guys like me and you, we can do it. It's not just for the women of our family to be the caregivers. We can do, and we can do all of it. John can do every bit of it and we can do it very well, but it's not easy, but you can. You got into security issues and security as part of your business focus uh, or before this, one of the big fears we have is our mother, and this happened to to a family member, and she was like me. She didn't want her mother to go live in a home. Her mother fell in the kitchen, broke her hip. She went to try to help her up and fell on top of her, and they laid there for three days, and her mother died. And, oh, my gosh. And she's got oh. severe health issues as a result of this. She's not a younger person either. Uh, but going through this, caring for your dad with Alzheimer's, I'm sure it had to bring up some things that really are big fears for a lot of people. Can you address some of those? Yes. So, you know, you watch it happen right before your eyes. But if you're in denial and you're not preparing long term, then it's going to be tough for you. But if you are... If you're preparing for a day, even before, I'm being very honest, even before a parent, mother, father shows any signs of any type of memory issues, um, prepare and think in your mind as, as the siblings, what, what if this happens? What will happen here? What will happen at this point? And, and that's where it helped for us. Um, really, some friends shared with us about my dad was still teaching school, substitute high school teacher in his 80s, I think it was. And, um, and yet he was showing signs that he couldn't get to church as quick as he used to. He was missing turns. His clothes were getting a little disheveled. So friends that had a mother that was going through this a little bit said, hey, go get him a neuropsychological exam with a neurologist that's going to put him through a two-hour or so test to see what his, um, what his cognitive issues are on a whole spreadsheet. And we take part in some of those questions as well as the caregiver. And then they'll give you a report and tell you, okay, maybe he needs to stop driving. Maybe he needs someone to help with this or that. A year later, you'll come back and you'll do the same test over again. And that test will give you, the family members, uh, through the help of the doctor, an idea of what's the progression speed. And has things really changed over the year? And now you may need to put this in the place or that in the place. And so that, that alone was just tremendously helpful for me to care for my father because I was able to put all the tools in the place and know, you know, what kind of 
assistance I needed. If I needed to send my brother or anyone out to take them to the barbershop, you know, maybe they should use a gate belt, which could help. And maybe in the situation you just mentioned, a simple gate belt, which is a belt that wraps around a person to help lift them up or keep them steady, is very important. Um, as well as um, knowing, you know, how traveling could be. We try to take my dad on vacation a few times and the bladder the, the issues that a person might have at that age may traveling from, let's say, here to Minnesota or Chicago even difficult at times. So, you know, but you want to take those trips. So th- these are the things. But really learning about the caregiving facilities, when do you need to put them maybe into a rehab for something, and always know that there may come that day. I f- feared the day. And that day was the day I would have to put him into a nursing home because I couldn't take care of him anymore. Now, I had excellent insurance with the postal um, workers that would have taken care of that. But by the time his decline happened into a, a seven-day hospice stay, I never got a chance to kick in the policy to even take care of that. When you say hospice, that's kind of a code word for the end. We'll, we'll talk about that in a few moments. We're talking with Phil Hill joining us from Wisconsin. His website is Phil hill.live that's p-h-i-l-h-i-l-l dot l-i-v-e we're going to talk more about caring for a parent with alzheimer's and how that transitioned or how that inspires what he does today this is the law enforcement talk radio show don't go anywhere we'll be right back get access to free podcast versions of the show and more on facebook Do a search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and be sure to click like. Return a conversation with Phil Hill on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Phil is calling us from all the way up the great north, Wisconsin, don't you know? He's a native of Chicago. His website is philhill.live. That's P-H-I-L-H-I-L-L dot... L-I-V-E. And we talked about growing up in a rough part of Chicago, crime-ridden part of Chicago, moving to to Wisconsin, uh, the transition you made, and then bringing in and caring for your dad who had Alzheimer's. And you mentioned some for winter break about hospice care. Uh, Generally, when they say hospice care, I I know people have been in hospice care for years, but when we've had exposure hospice in my life it's usually at the end of someone's life was that the case for you it, it is it, it has its uh it has its phases typically hospice is somewhere in anywhere from a couple of days of life expectancy left to as much as about six months uh, anything beyond six months um uh, you're not going to get much um you know, healthcare coverage to support that. Um, but, but so it can run the gamut of that. My dad's was about seven days. Um, now, now here, my mom was already passed away for, uh, many years back uh, from cancer, but no, I had my dad and um, it was, it was just great having him around um, actively living in his own condo, 20 minutes away, teaching high school still, even though he had two pensions and he really didn't need to do this. He just did it because he loved kids. And so, um, you know, to have the joy to to be able to wrap back around and take care of him was just wonderful. I used some tools, John. Um, you know, one of the things is Meals on Wheels. Um, I just saw, I just saw John recently, John, the Meals on Wheels guy, um, out at a store. And we just reminisced over the years he came and brought 
a lunch for my dad when I was maybe out running a quick service call. And he was like my eyes and ears. Now, check this out. I had a, uh, I had a ring doorbell. This is the early days of the ring doorbells where when, when John would walk up with the meal, I'd get a motion notification, and he knew this, and I could just have a quick conversation. And on the way back out after he left the meal on the counter, he could tell me, hey, your dad looks great today. And no, he doesn't look great today. Or, you know, he, he was my extra teammate on taking care of my dad. Uh, so the doorbell was excellent for that. I had um, I had an indoor camera in his sitting room where it had two-way audio. It was part of the ring system where I could keep an eye on my dad's general ups and downs. If was he on his routine or not? And I could talk with him, and he could talk back to me, totally hands-free on my phone. These are just some tech things that helped me. But then um, just having those key family members around that were part of the team, the eyes and the ears, understanding our insurances, understanding the stays. And John, even even when you think you've done your best, you've picked the best, let's say a nursing home for a short two-week rehab stay after a, a, a surgery or something, then things can happen. And I will tell you that my dad never fell in four years at my home under my care. Yet he had a bladder outpatient procedure at a facility and he needed to go to rehab at a rehab slash nursing home that I thought I picked the right one. Well, he got there and I gave him the whole dossier on him because I know him better than anyone else. And I get a call two hours later that he fell and hit his head on the nightstand. That was heartbreaking. Yeah, That was devastating for me. Now he recovered uh, two in the morning, I went to the emergency room and got his head stitched up and sent him back to the nursing home because there were no, no other place to send him. I wish I'd have just kept him home and just figured that part out. And otherwise, things were good, though. After his passing a few months later, through after that seven days of hospice, I developed anger issues because of the nursing home situations that I felt were just... Dude, I'm angry when you told me about it. And it wasn't my dad. My dad passed yeah. away from cancer 30, yeah. 32 years ago. And I always tell people this. Yeah. It doesn't get easier. You just get more used to it. Yeah. Well, John, can you, you said you thought you knew me, huh? Yeah. When my dad passed, I think, in April. I had anger issues where I lashed out on everybody in my life from April to August, and basically September. Right. Gas station, dry cleaners, family, you name it. I would, I might cuss you out, snap on you upside down. I was troubled because of grief, but also my sincere regret that I trusted these caregivers that let me down. And I got over it. Uh, I could share did that you, a little did bit. Did you but feel I got responsible? Over it. I'm now. Did you feel that you had responsibility as a yeah. son to take better care of him? And I'm not. I'm not saying better as a judgey way. I'm just saying better care in your mind. This wouldn't happen if you had done X, Y, and Z better. If if I would have simply picked a better nursing home or just kept them at home. Um, and that sounds a lot, lot like coulda, shoulda, woulda. You know what I mean? Look, I'm not Superman. I'm not God. I'm yeah. just a regular guy. I do the best I can. And sometimes th- that doesn't measure up to my own standards. <laughs> yeah. 
But you know what? The people that I snapped on in those several months didn't deserve it. So here's what I did. Um, I'm a, I'm a man of faith. And I finally just had some one-on-ones with God and asked him to just God, help me. What do I need to do to get this right? I, I don't like myself. I'm sure the ones that are around me don't like me. So I, I felt him sharing with me to go back to each and every person you possibly can that you offended, hurt, or whatever, and simply share with them what you were going through in a brief moment and apologize and then leave it. And you know what I did? I did just that. I went to everybody and it was crazy from some at the gas stations to the donut shop I went to every day. And, and many knew what I, were, I was going through, but they, 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 they were like, you, I remember that day. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, but you came back and, and and then I was healed. I felt so much better, and they felt so much better, and and I'm good now. But sometimes could I for me, that with a little counseling, maybe for, for me, Phil, it was just telling people that was my bad, my fault, not yours. You didn't do anything to deserve this, and uh, mm-hmm. and allow them to be as angry as they need to be for as long as they need to be without me being defensive. I, I got to shift gears here because we're running mm-hmm. close on time. Yes, sir. You said several times that you used Ring video. You had the doorbell camera and you had indoor cameras. and That was a big tool yes. you used in helping take care of your dad with Alzheimer's. Uh, is that one of the things that became a major focus shift for you? Well, I've always, again, 40 years of protecting people, places, and things. I was around before there were any cameras in a home. The cameras, I was, my career takes me to banking, bank, bank security, uh, home security, school security, and I know it in my sleep. So my life's mission now in this digital space is to, and as well as my own space at that time, was to utilize the tools, not necessarily for criminal reasons in that case, but for caregiver reasons. I've actually helped friends on Clubhouse, John, uh, that that needed uh, remote caregiving tools, and it worked out perfectly. Yeah, I never thought I of that. I won't name names, but we just... I, 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 never, I always so thought well. of, you know, the, the intrusive factor of these surveillance cameras and for crime reasons, and I don't want to be overly paranoid, but I never thought of having communications with an, uh, an elderly loved one. I never thought of that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to get that set up at my mother's place. Uh, a sister of mine and myself, we're going to do that right away. There's so much more, John. Like, like if you've got a parent, my dad was on a walker, okay, when he was at his condo. But if you've got a parent that is a wanderer, I mean, they're, they're, they may elope by walking blocks or they may drive places they shouldn't go. And you know that you're on the edge of that. Get an air tag and put it in their shoe yeah. or put it in their belt or wallet. Put it in something that you know they're going to take every day. Even if their memory is fading really fast, you know they won't leave the house without it. And I, I got to ask you this before we like run that. out of time. Do you have a component yep. about this on your website or will you in the future? So my, so my, my sites, my Amazon live shows and my future podcasts and any of my socials, I talk about the criminal beating on your door. And I talk about simple things like this. I will take on Q and a live or in chats or just message me on my email on my site. And I will answer your question as quick as I can, and I'm the one to do it because I know it in the back of my head. And is, it, is it safe to say that you're a driven guy, too? Uh, look, by the way, his website is philhill.live, P H I L H I L L 
dot live. Phil, we are out of time. I could talk with you for hours. Thanks so yes, much sir. for sharing your story on the show. Hours. Very much appreciated. I enjoyed my friend. If you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, simply contact us. It couldn't be easier. You can send us a message on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show page or email j at letradio.com. I'd like to thank our guests for coming on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show is a nationally syndicated weekly radio show broadcast on numerous AM and FM radio stations across the country. We're always adding more affiliate stations. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, which is always free, please do me a favor and tell a friend or two or three. I'll be back in just a few days with another episode of the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. Thank you.